From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, the first of several Ipswich Today Election Watch special episodes. From now until Council Election Day, former Ipswich Councillor Cheryl Bromwich will join the show to talk about the campaign. Cheryl will provide unique insights as a former councillor and offer commentary on candidates and incumbents. It's Friday, January 19, 2024, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. During the next few weeks, I'll be chatting regularly with former Ipswich councillor Cheryl Bromwich. Cheryl was a councillor from 2004 until 2018, and her first-hand insights will take us behind the scenes of a campaign, and we'll take a look at who is running for mayor and the four divisions. Welcome to Ipswich today, Cheryl. Hi, Alan, and it's really good to be with you today, and it's also good to sort of speak out about what's coming up with the elections, because as you know, I've had a lot of experience not only running my own campaigns, but campaigns throughout Australia and New South Wales and in North Queensland for over 25 years, so I think I've got a little bit of an insight. Before we get to that, though, what, what has been the Cheryl Bromwich story since 2018? Currently, I'm a part owner of a business in the Ipswich CBD that does industrial relations and human resources. So it's a it's changed from like local government scene, but you know you've got to earn a living and and put food on the table. So uh, I keep myself busy doing that. Well, you've adapted very well to those changes. Now, with about eight weeks until election day, what are the emotions and thoughts that current councillors seeking re-election will be feeling about now? I think the current councillors will be trying to navigate how they're going to run an election and find people to actually hand out on the day, put the signs up. Because as you remember, they were in COVID lockdowns. So all they had to do was put the how to vote cards on tables and walk away. So to try and find staff how to, you know, work the election day itself and the pre-poll I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge for some people. So what you're saying is they've got to muster a few volunteers, organise rosters, all that kind of thing. Absolutely. And Mm. and pre-poll, where a lot of people will vote before Election Day, as we know, organise their postal votes better. It's it's going to be a whole new campaign, a whole new world, even for the existing councillors and the new ones who are trying to navigate through it as well. When does a current councillor turn their attention to being re-elected? And don't say the whole four years. <laughs> <laughs> what are the basic steps that have got to be done? Well, we, in the, the political world, we like to use the term cam- continuous campaigning. So, like you said, yep, four years. But the thing is, you usually start the next day of actually trying to plan and about how you re-engage with the community, how you deal with issues that's come up during the election time. Because as you know, as a sitting council, you have a period of time where you actually cannot make any decisions, you cannot get things done where you've spoken to people during this time that you can start making those actions. But it's re-engaging with those community groups as well. So it's basically getting yourself back out there and delivering on items that the community have put you back in. 
into that seat for. So caretaker period for this election will start on January 29. So what you're saying is basically from that day, you'd be in full campaign mode, virtually. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, even from a council point of view, they're limited from the staff for what they can do. So there's like publications, media blackout times and things like that. So it's a bit of a game changer. And I think people think that, you know, having a conversation during that period of time for elections, that they'll actually see results, but you're quite limited to actually what you can do because it's under the Act that you can't do certain certain things. With fixed four-year terms and the council election fixed in March, it kind of sneaks up on people. You're Christmas, New Year's, back to school, and, oh, there's an election. Uh, have residents been saying anything to you yet about the current councillors? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult because even when I was running for local government, you knew basically from the second last week in December that you really people were worried about Christmas and dealing with the holidays and nothing really can campaign start till the first week of February once kids are back to school. So you actually nearly lose a month and a half of campaign activity leading up to the elections that are, that are in March. So it's a bit of a timing issue. And you can lose that momentum that you've tried to create before the end of the year. Mm. And this year it's a couple of weeks earlier because of Easter. So you lose two weeks in 2024. That's right. Mm. And, you know, even when it was in April, you'd actually lose uh, the Easter holiday break because people aren't interested because, you know, they want to get their kids back to school. They want to get back into a routine. Voting an election is the last thing a lot of people will think about. Looking at 2024... What do you think will be the issues which will influence the election result? I think people with the cost of living, because, you know, everyone got their rates notice this week, so people will be looking at that of paying their rates because a lot of people even a couple of years ago struggled to pay their rates. So they want value for money to make sure what their area gets fair share of the pie of the rates money that comes in and they will want to make sure that it's spent wisely and in services and timely services that people want in the community because I just see, you know, um, the long grass that's around at the moment. Yes, we've had the weather changes. Yes, it's very difficult. And the staff are working really hard to get it down. And you know yourself, Mm. you can't keep up with it. But from a, a resident point of view, they only see those sort of issues that directly affect them as the key issues. Do you think those issues will be the same across the whole city? I think it changes because down, what I used to find is the people down the northern end or the western end would always think the money would go down to Springfield. Springfield would say, we're not really a part of Ipswich, so why are you doing a lot of work in Ipswich? So there's always that divide. So it is making sure, as we used to say, that every child gets a prize. So you made sure that every division around the city got an equal share of projects. Actually, interesting, Cheryl, since you were elected, the dynamics are certainly changing fast because now you've got the Ripley Valley really coming into its own. Do you think those residents feel they're part of Ipswich? It'll be very difficult to know because they have a lot of challenges out there with the roads, like they're one way in, one way out. Mm. You know, they've got the issues around the smells and the, the dumps that are right on their doorstep. And even with the population that's coming, because we used to say that the population of Rockhampton is what? 
will be on our doorstep at Springfield, but the population of Kansas, what is sitting out at Ripley Valley. So to have those two sizable residential areas within our city without the existing city and the infill development that's happening, Ipswich has got, you know, a lot of infrastructure challenges going forward. Let's take a look at the mayoral race now. How do you rate Teresa Harding's performance? Personally, I have my own views, but from what I hear, it's a mixed response out there. And in politics, you can't make everyone happy. So it's going to be, you know, there's people who are for Theresa and there's people who are against Theresa, but that's politics and that's life in general. So, you know, it's up to her to convince the voters because in the end of the day, it's the voters who make the decision, not an individual, about how that person is going. In 2020, there were five candidates for mayor. So far this time, I count four. Do you expect any other names to come forward and be added? It's hard at this stage of the game with such a short time period, but what your listeners might be keen to know is in 2022, there was the Sunday by-election and the Mike Brunker won the primary vote to be the mayor, but all the other candidates did a deal swap of preferences that in the end he lost on preferences. So it was quite an interesting type of scenario that you could win on the primary vote, but preferences added to that actually overturned the primary vote. And that's going to be critical with the other people who are in this mayoral ballot of how they do their preferences, whether they all work together against one or it's divided up in another way. So it's optional preferential voting for the mayoral. So you don't have to number every box, but you can see if there is this deal going on that it can actually change the outcome. Talking of those how to vote cards, which uh, still a lot of emphasis is placed on the importance of them, what percentage of voters actually follow them, do you think? Less than 50%, because a lot of people have made their mind up before they get to the polling booth. Mm. I've stood on many polling booths handing out in many elections, and a lot of people go, I already know what I'm doing, um, you know, because some people don't. But a majority of people have already made their mind up before they turn up to a polling booth. How important is name recognition for a candidate? I, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very important. But you only get the name recognition of doing hard work in the community, belonging to the community, living in your community and participating in community and sporting groups before you even consider becoming a candidate because really local government is the closest to the people and being that person that is in the community and serving the community prior, I think is a very important part of being a local government councillor. Once upon a time, a strong list of policies would underpin a candidate's campaign, whether it's published in the paper or, or online. It doesn't appear to be so important these days. Are you seeing that? Am I right or wrong? Yeah, yeah, you're right, because we actually haven't seen much come out from candidates at the moment. But I think it's a lot of inexperience because you think the majority of the candidates who are there and the current councillors, they don't have a lot of local government experience to know how to run a campaign. And running a campaign in local government is different to a state and federal. So I think that that lack of experience and I think that that when the, the leader 
people will be starting to ask these candidates a lot more questions for them to try and answer. And I think not having a local paper like the Queensland Times is also cutting a lot of this information flow to the general community about what is happening in the local area as well as what the candidates propose as well. Now you mentioned the old QT. Back when you were running, did you take part in any of those public debates that they hosted? Absolutely. I remember the last one and uh, it was an opportunity for the moderator to ask a series of questions and for the candidates to deliver what they're going to bring and do to the community. And I think that gave some people who were a little bit indecisive uh, an opportunity to hear and see the candidate and understand what their vision was for the city. Apart from what might be printed in the paper subsequent to those public debates with the candidates, do you think they added anything to the campaign? I think it brought a lot of negativity because at times it left the candidate open to being sort of, um, how would you say, trolled by people, especially online and I feel that um, people who put their name up for election are brave because they're really opening themselves up to a lot of criticism and not only themselves but their family. And, you know, it's a, it's a big step because the candidate signs up for the role but the family doesn't sign up for what comes with it as well. They're there to support but they're not there to uh, cop what comes with it as well. So. I think people are brave who put their name forward. Agreed. With so many choices to promote yourself at election time, regardless of the level of government, how does a candidate get cut through in this digital age? There's so many choices. There is so many choices, but you're sort of quite limited with X. But it's mainly getting around and doing, you know, a lot of street stalls and just turning up to public events to be seen and let people have an opportunity to meet you and have a conversation with you. And I think that's where you can actually have meaningful dialogue with people in those type of environments rather than quite a stilted uh, written form because I think people need to understand who you are as a real person, not what they can read. There's one other high-profile candidate for mayor, and that is David Martin, a former councillor whose term was cut short. He's got a strong following on Facebook. Do you think this will translate to votes? Not always, because, you know, why it looks good with your numbers of your followers and the engagement that you have on any type of social media or recognition, it's the silent minority of people who never would tell you how they vote or their intentions. And they're the ones that can actually swing the votes in certain areas. So, you know, happy to be proven wrong, but I think that, you know, it doesn't always translate across, but what having pages like David Martin's is actually providing that information that other media sources and other community groups can get out. So, Mm. you know, it can be very handy that way. There's no doubt he's well known in the Ipswich Central area and the surrounding suburbs, but is he well known enough across the whole city? Well, that's the difficult thing running for a mayoralty position is that you've got to appeal to everybody in every corner of the city. And and that's a really hard ask. But, you know, hats off to him giving it a fair go, going to everywhere that it can go and meeting everybody and posting up community groups uh, activities. So, 
you know, he's trying his best, as are all the other candidates that I can see. So it'll be interesting when it comes to the chance at the ballot box to see what happens on election night. Cheryl, I think one of the biggest surprises of this uh, mayoral race was the announcement before Christmas that current councillor Sheila Island is going to dice the division and run for mayor. Now, I heard last year uh, Sheila was saying she's not going to run again, and then here she is coming out saying she's running for mayor. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, it was quite intriguing, I found it, but it could be a bit of a strategy. You don't know who's working with who within the other candidates in relation to preference deals. So it could be some sort of a preference swap that's going on to help one or another. But uh, it is an intriguing move by Sheila. Um, But Sheila is like that as a person. She'll give anything a go. And uh, it's uh, I I wish her luck. Peter Robinson, who has run previously, uh, but not in 2020, uh, he's thrown his hat in the ring again, running for mayor. How do you rate his chances? I've known Peter for a long time as well, especially through Ipswich Hockey, and, of course, he's a, a local accountant. The mayoralty is a hard ask. I think sometimes you have to be a councillor first to try and get a bit of a feel about how things are going on. But, you know, that's not something that's set in stone. But, you know, Peter's giving it a fair crack as well out there. I just think uh, it's about name recognition and I think that all these candidates need to get out there and, and be known by the general public. Well, the clock is certainly ticking. So next time we chat, we'll take a closer look at the division candidates. Uh, have you had any, any further speculation as to who might nominate? Yeah, Alan, I've actually heard possibly that one of the current state members might be nominating for council. Um, I'm sure they'll let everybody know, but the interesting thing is, if that person is successful, it will trigger a by-election. So there'll be two state elections within the one year, which will be quite interesting that you'll have a council election, a state election, possible by-election. And then with a federal election, they can actually call it from the 3rd of August this year and the last date is the 27th of September next year. Wow, okay. So voting time is is pretty hot in the next probably (laughs) 18 months. And finally, just looking at the numbers, we had 41 people nominate across all divisions and the mayoral race in 2020. We're way short of that at the moment. Uh, Do you think there'll be many more come forward at this stage? I think they will be because I think people have just been worried about Christmas and I think there'll be some previous candidates who will come back into the mix. Um, But, you know... Who knows? And like I said, I wish all of them good luck. Um, it's a tough gig. It, it's not a uh, holiday in there. And uh, I'm sure the voters of Ipswich, they are very smart people and they will choose the best person they feel that will be there to represent them. Cheryl Bromage, thank you so much. We'll leave it there and thanks for your insights. Thanks, Alan. That's it for this episode. You'll find handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au. 
Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.